Thank you for listening to Women in Sports. This show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry. I'm one of the hosts, Erin Sinnott. And I'm Ashton Pills. This is a Rising Coaches-sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences. Glad to have you listening along. Stay tuned. Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on. Community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the Final Four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today. Cause I'm just too dangerous, I'm dangerous Let's be honest, ain't no contest Take those comments for my concept From the get-go, I just get so dangerous, so dangerous Yeah, two equal sides, no equal ties Yo, I Welcome to week number eight of Women in Sports I'm Ashton Pills, Aaron You're muted Amateur move, we're week eight, and I still can't figure it out. Just kidding. And I'm Erin. Uh, we're so glad to have you guys here. Can't believe it's already week eight. No, this is really, really good. This week, we had two amazing guests, uh, Kara Hess from Women Leaders in Sports and Coach Sam Quigley, who is the head coach at Lewis University. Um, thanks for taking some time to be with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course, of course. Um, before we get into our questions and our um, intros, just want to reiterate, you know, the narrative uh, that we're trying to raise is women in sports. Um, you know, the past eight weeks, we've got to have a lot of different coaches, administrators, um, and it's been really good to see and hear all the different insights and perspectives. So we're we're trying to continue to grow that. So we're really excited. But if you guys just want to go ahead and share with us, you know, where you started, um, kind of where you got to where you are, um, we'd love to hear it. Coach, you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Sam Quigley, Sam Quigley-Smith, I need to say so that my husband doesn't overhear me incorrectly. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started coaching, I think, a little bit different route maybe than most college coaches. 
Um, I played uh, I played at DePaul University in Chicago in the Big East um, when it was the real Big East with UConn's and Notre Dame's and um, you know all the all the great programs I think that the Big East was at that time. Um, our coach used to call it the be- the beast of the Big East, and it certainly was. Um, so after that, uh, I actually was there for five years. I tore my ACL one season. Uh, that really was the year I decided that I wanted to be a coach. Um, and I tried the overseas thing for a little while. I was in the country of Hungary, not too long. Um, I was homesick, just wasn't for me. Um, so I ended up coming home and became an assistant coach, uh, at an NAIA program, actually right down the street from where our family grew up. Um, it's also the place that my late father, my mother, my youngest brother, my husband all attended school. So it was a pretty cool family connection and atmosphere that we had, you know, over the summers, we were always shooting around at this gym. Um, my sister and I, um, I, I also played with my sister, Allie, um, at DePaul university. She's now a professional basketball player has been playing for, I think this is her 12th season. Um, so uh, was the assistant coach at the University of St. Francis, an NAI program um, for one season. And then they actually had an interim coach that year. And it was kind of a funny story. They, they had lost their coaches right before the season started. They decided to hire their baseball coach. Their baseball coach had coached women's basketball at Lewis University, where I'm at right now, in the late 90s. So he had had some women's basketball coaching experience. He was also, still is, my uncle. So I was an assistant coach under my uncle for my first season of coaching um, and was a great, great experience for me. The next June, the position opened up, I applied and then became the head coach. So I didn't have a ton of experience coming out of college. It was just like, hey, you're a head coach. Um, and so I was the head coach for uh, for six seasons at the University of St. Francis. Um, we had some great success. It was a true rebuild of a program, I think, prior to to me starting there, we were 10 and 23. Our final season, we went to the NAI final four. So it was like a true from the bottom to the top type rebuild, which was amazing. Great experience, great people. Um, and Lewis was very similar from a culture standpoint and person, people, administration standpoint. So it just seemed like the right move for us um, from a family aspect. Uh, it was about 15 minutes down the street. Um, and our uncle used to coach women's basketball at Lewis. So over the summers, we were always going to Lewis's basketball camps. So walking up to that campus felt like home as well. Um, so two very family connected places that I've been at, um, been at Lewis now going to be starting my fourth season. Our staff is, um, and have had some great success, uh, three straight NCAA tournaments so far and hoping to win a national championship someday. (laughs) Um, uh, my husband and I have four kids. We have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. I'm trying to remember all their ages. And two dogs. So we have a full packed house. <laughs> a lot of people there. Did you play for, for Bruno? I did. Yep. I played for Doug. Yeah. yeah he's incredible. He sure is. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um. I'm Kara Hess, uh, a manager of leadership and education at the Women Leaders in College Sports. Uh, my career path, obviously, I'm not a coach, so a little bit of a different perspective here. I uh, And like I said, wish I was in a teacher right now, but I had programming all day today, and that's kind of what I do. But uh, I was a former Division II uh, athlete, two sports, volleyball and basketball. And uh, my entire career, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to get into athletics, thought I wanted to be the first Aaron, like the next Aaron Andrews, 
got in front of the camera and I was like, nope, I don't want to do this. So I, uh, after college, I applied for this internship in Atlanta. So I lived in Michigan my whole year, my whole life and applied for this internship uh, at the WBCA, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, uh, with the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. And I went, moved to Atlanta for, it was a six month internship, packed up everything, went to Atlanta uh, and I made like nothing, like $900 a month and living in Atlanta that y'all know that does not work. So uh, lived there for six months. And on the last day of my internship, um, my parents were already on their way to come pick me up. And on the last day of the internship, uh, the CEO or deputy director, uh, Daniel Donahue, offered me a job. Didn't know the t- title, didn't know what it would be, didn't know anything. And I took it because I trusted her and I thought she was incredible. So I then spent the next four years at the WBCA, worked there, um, absolutely loved it, uh, developed coaches. I was in education there and events. So helped at the final four. I'm sure a few of you have been to the uh, women's final four and the WBCA convention. So was in charge of putting together all the programming, the round tables, the uh, coaches huddles, uh, anything pro- programmatic I was in charge of there. And, but I always knew that I wanted to get into administration. So after four years there, I thought I saw a position opening in Kansas city with where I'm at right now, women leaders in college sports. And I jumped on it. And one of the cool thing is I got my job because of my connection with uh, Patty from the final four. So I'd always see Patty, who's the CEO and be like, Hey, like, uh, do you need anything? What's going on? Cause I knew that at some point in my career, I was like, I need to know this woman. And so I kind of took a leap and moved to Kansas City about two years ago. And now uh, Women Leaders in College Sports, we develop and advance and connect women in college athletics. So it's kind of cool that there's a lot of young coaches on here, uh, but we're more the administration side. So we help our athletic directors, our SWAs. We have a lot of uh, athletic trainers and we help them advance through programming. So I just got done with an event today. It was a four-day virtual programming that's normally in person. And there's about 90 women that were on it. And uh, we put together, we bring in athletic directors, we bring in um, executive coaches, and we talk about advancement. So managing up, where we talk about uh, building relationships, all these different types of topics to help people advance. So uh, like, like I said, all of you that are trying to advance in your careers, it's what we do. So would more than willing be uh, interested to, you can always reach out to me, but I love it. I am in a really cool downtown apartment in Kansas city. If you've never been to Kansas city, you got to come. It's a really cool city, but so far I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying my career. So Kara, is this like agent? Like it's no, it's exactly like the WBCA, but for the administrators. So it's, but we, we more help, uh, we're a lot more involved with like search committees and whatnot because we're helping people advance. Uh, for athletic group. So Sandy Barber is our incoming president at Penn State. So it's those type of women that we help okay. in their career. Makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. That's super cool. Um, you guys, I feel like I literally just texted Ash and I was like, I don't think they need us. Like they can, they can just go, go on and it's go on without us. It's so great. Um, but just kind of, um, Kara, if you want to just hit on, we, obviously you're not in a coaching role, but you do run programs the same as, you know, coach Quigley does. She runs her own program and it's just different. 
how have you been able to use like your past, your previous athletic experience being a double sport athlete in volleyball and basketball to really kind of find that, um, that niche market for you to then now be doing the job that you're doing? Yeah, I'll be completely honest. Every job I've had up until this point, I never knew existed probably a year before. Uh, so when I, I mean, I played basketball my whole life and I didn't even know what the WBCA was. So when I applied, I was like, what am I doing? Where am I going? I'm going to Atlanta. What's happening? Um, and so my connections, to be honest, uh, a lot of times in the roles that I've been in, a lot of these people are like division one athletes. Uh, and so I feel very blessed that I was a division two athlete that has been able to get these positions and it's been incredible, but I would truly say for anyone on this call is I thought I knew what I wanted to be. And so college athletics helped me get to that, but there's so many things out there that you don't probably even know exist. And so that's kind of the loophole I've fallen into is I I thought athletics was just coaching. And I was like, ah, I'm going to be a coach. And then I got into my internship and I'm like, Whoa, this is not what I want to be. And then I've just been able, I've met some incredible people along the way. And I, you all know this, it's who, you know, we always say at women leaders, it's not who, you know, it's who, to, who will go to bat for you. And that's, what's happened in my career is I've just met some great people and I wouldn't have my job now if I wouldn't have met Patty at the women's final four. Uh, and I'm sure my next job will be the exact same. So college athletics, I owe so much to, but uh, I would really say it's my internship that propelled me in my career. Coach Quigley, could you kind of speak on, you know, obviously Kara did a lot with the WBCA, but you also just recently took a position, you know, as the board of directors with the WBCA. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's been, I think, a little bit unique, probably different with uh, with the COVID and everything that's been happening with the pandemic. But a lot of it has just been like problem solving and figuring out you know, what is going to be the WBCA stance, you know, in terms of recruiting, in terms of playing seasons, in terms of what's safe and what's not. And so it's just been a lot of, I think, a different way to communicate, which is like a Zoom call like this, or, you know, a conference call where we're all just trying to like, give great input, Um, you know, surveys, I don't know how many surveys I've done, like this past spring and summer, just like trying to give people data, um, to figure out, I think the best route for the WBCA to go, um, you know, and obviously their, their stance and they've, the statements that they've come out with, I think aligned for the most part with the NABC, which is the men's side, um, in terms of a basketball coaches association. Uh, so a lot of, I think the director, uh, board of directors, the, the positions are something that you really look forward to when it comes to like the final four and getting to meet everybody in person. And, you know, again, go through these, these meetings and, and give great input when it comes to like decision-making for the administrators for the WBCA. Um, And so we didn't really get that, that portion of it yet, but you know, that's something I hope to do obviously this next year um, and being involved as much as I can, Um, you know, whether it's a a committee, you know, I know that they're like always looking for people to like get on committees or the mentor program. Um, You know, they want as much involvement as possible, even if it's, you know, extra membership. So you know, I think that it's been a little bit different probably than normally the board of directors would work, but um, all around a good experience, you know, and one that I think so many of us, especially now, like in the Zoom world, you maybe wouldn't have talked as much in person, 
But now that you're on a Zoom call, now you're saying so much more, you know, whether that's our own teams to our own teams, you know, you'd probably allow your assistants to talk more or the team to, to, to speak more, but it's a lot of, you know, I'm sure some of you coaches on here know what it's like on the Zoom call when you ask a question and everybody stares at you on the, on the Zoom call and there's no response, you know, so the, the not in-person interaction has been, has been tough, but I think it's, it's been a learning experience for all of us. So. Coach, I learned the whole seven second pause thing. So you ask a question, you just wait for seven seconds. And then if no one answers, then you're screwed. <laughs> then you answer it for them. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a good, yeah. Seven seconds. I, I've heard of it, but I think it's like, I'm so awkward sometimes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, there's no way I could ever bear waiting seven seconds. Right. Do they think I'm paused? Yeah, literally. Yeah. Um, or muted. I don't know how I keep doing that, but, um, just kind of like a question that can, um, you, both of you can hit on, but kind of what are some ways that you're really helping prepare women for a successful career, um, whether that's in the sports industry um, or just in life in general. Um, Kara, if you want to kind of just hit on that. Yeah, I can start. Um, Like I said, we are just really trying to, I think for a lot of, um, I think for a lot of women, uh, it's just having the confidence, right? And someone telling them, hey, you got this. And that's really, sometimes I feel like we just got to be someone's biggest cheerleader. Uh, the 90 women, the program that we just had um, is one of our most, you know, signature programs. And it, these 90 women are, I mean, for the last four days, we're just having, we're having people tell them like, hey, you can do this because women feel like they can't because of families or because they feel like they're not good enough or a male, a male might got get the position. And I'm not sitting here saying men should not get the positions because I've had some amazing man coach, like male coaches. Uh, but you know, we're just really trying to help these women understand what they have and just actually use what they have. Right. So yeah, we're giving them the tools. Yeah. We're talking about different topics and yeah, we're talking about all of these different, you know, we're we're specifically talking about topics, but it really doesn't matter. Uh, It's just getting a group of like-minded women in the room and then telling them, Hey, go do it. So I, I wish there was uh, truly, if everyone just listened to that and be like, hey, you have the confidence, I, I feel like there would be a lot more women in college athletics. We have to add to that, coach. Yeah, I would. That's really hard to follow. Thanks, Kara. Um, <laughs> but I think I think from a team and a, and a coaching standpoint, I think so often people think of basketball coaches and I bet a lot of you basketball coaches can probably agree with me. A lot of people ask, like, is that all you do? You know, or... <laughs> do you get, are you full-time? Do you get paid for that? And I'm like, yes, yes, I'm full-time, you know? So I think so much of this too has become just like a mentorship and a leadership, you know, program. It's not just about basketball and X's and O's. Like if that were the case, you know, we wouldn't have any interaction with, with our team. It would be like show up to practice and then show up to the game and make sure you're on time. And then that's, that's that. But I think a lot of this is relationship building, you know, when players come in, um, you know, it's so funny, Aaron, that you're, that this is a question that's being asked because, you know, one thing that I changed about our program in the last five to six years is like, we started to develop them, you know, from a mentorship standpoint, leadership standpoint, professional development. So like we have all of these different days that we have throughout the year that are non-practice days. So we call them, we call them I fly days. And so it's some sort of other topic that we address that's not basketballs or X's and O's related. 
you know, so whether that be team building, whether that be professional development, block interviews, um, resume building, like, so we do all of these things as a program as well. Um, and the reason I'm bringing this up, Erin, is because uh, a few years ago, I, I coached a woman that was a Chicago Hoops Express um, girl who transferred from um, Western Illinois, Charnel Reed. Um, she's now an assistant coach at Purdue Northwest. So Charnel became my graduate assistant at Lewis University. And her and I both talked about how like, gosh, like it's not that we don't feel, we didn't feel prepared coming out of college, but like we just didn't have like good, thank goodness I wanted to be a basketball coach because like all of my experiences over the summertime from an internship standpoint, from a, you know, anything related to my profession was basketball related. Like I only worked camps. I only, you know, did anything basketball related. I coached a high school team over the summer. So like, I think so often our girls are not thinking about the summertime as like a time to build your resume and to get yourself prepared for life after Lewis, you know? So I think that's been a big point of focus for us, for them to be thinking about, Hey, what it is, what do you want to be? Like when you grow up, what do you want to be in four years? Like, Oh, I want to be a nurse. I want to be a physical therapist. I want to be a athletic trainer. It's like, well, you're just working basketball camp over the summer. And like, that's not going to help you get a nursing job, you know? So I think, having them brainstorm and be thinking about five years from, from that point, it's tough because it's so far away and they feel like it's just, it does, it's not relevant, you know, but we're getting them ready, I think for life after, after basketball. So. Coach, I agree as a former D2 athlete, I always say that is something that I appreciated so much. Like our volleyball coach was so into what you just said. We had, we had a book, we read a leadership book each summer and we had to, call in and we would do call-ins and we'd have to talk about it or during the season, like once a week, we would go over to a house and cook and talk about a leadership topic. And in basketball, we didn't do that. And I will, I'll be the first to say that Ferris, like their volleyball program is always in the top 10, like top 10 consistently for division two and basketball. We were not. So I, I'm a huge advocate of, you need to have like-minded rounded kids. You need to have not just athletes, you need to have all rounded kids. Yeah. And some, I think some people might may say like, well, now your focus is a little bit off of the basketball side of things from a basketball coach standpoint. But I think when you're at a smaller, smaller institution too, and you're not at this, you know, big caliber university, you just don't have the manpower to do it all. Like you, you don't have an individual that's working on professional development with your group. Like that's you, you know, I think that was something you know, as a coach or advice to young coaches, like, don't be afraid. Some of our former players like are just, are just getting into coaching now. And they're like, I'm the assistant coach. I'm the assistant sports information person. I'm the head recruiter. I'm like, that's awesome because you're getting so many different experiences. And it's not just like, you know, you're strictly a video coordinator or you are, you know, so you, you wear a lot of hats. And so that's, um, I think that's the beauty of coaching. It's the thing that I enjoy the most. Absolutely. Yes. Literally. That was also something that I never really thought about in the recruiting process of like what program is going to help me really have that opportunity. And especially going like division one to division two, that was something division one that I didn't necessarily get. And I really valued, I really valued the community service. I really valued networking and being able to even have an internship that wasn't just like a checklist of getting those credits done, but being able to, to, be a student first. I know that's like so overrated, but that was something that I really truly valued. And, and I think that's, that's 
it's, it's vital definitely to the future of, of student athletes for sure. Coach Quig, another question for you. Um, what would you say is like the outside of winning, what is most important to you? Like what's more important, important than winning when it comes to your student athletes, your program, obviously you want to be successful, but how do you measure success outside of winning? Yeah, I think it's just the family, the family connection, the relationship that you're going to have with these players, with these student athletes, once they leave you, you know, you want them to be able to call you up when they need something. You want to be able to call them up to congratulate them on some sort of success. Like, I think that that part of things maybe gets overlooked a little bit, you know, and even when we feel like we're doing a great job in that category, you know, and then you have your postseason meetings and, you know, I had one of our freshmen say like, I just wish you'd talk to me a little bit more. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like totally, you know? So I think it's just that, that everyday daily interaction and building relationships with them, getting to know them, you know, not just saying, Hey, how's it going? It's more like, Hey, how are you really doing? You know, like, how are you feeling? How's the transition as a freshman or a transfer comes? Like, how are you, how are you feeling with the experience here? Like, is anything bothering you? You know, like, I think if you ask them those questions, you get to know them a lot more and you're able to, you know, just be aware of things that might be going on and not just be ignorant to it. You know, I think that's one thing. Um, and maybe that's why, maybe that's why there's so many transfers. I don't know. I know that, that that's been obviously a huge point of focus in the NCAA, like how many people are transferring, you know, and like we have transfers too. Like, I'm not saying we haven't had people transfer, but it's just like, I think them feeling comfortable with the communication and knowing, you know, coach really does have her door open all the time. Like we need to be able to communicate with her and feel comfortable talking with her and the staff, you know, whatever it may be about. Um, so, yeah, I would say that apart from, apart from the basketball and the competitiveness standpoint, um, you know, I think competing is, is huge, not just on the court, but competing in the classroom, competing in our relationships. You know, we can't, we can't be okay with mediocre and we can't be okay with like giving up on each other. I think sometimes that occurs where, you know, teammates don't get along and they just give up on each other instead of like trying to work through it. Tough times, adversity. You know, I just remember experiencing a ton of adversity as a former student athlete, you know, and a lot of mine was centered around like basketball playing time, you know, cause it was like, okay, I was so ignorant to, to life, you know, but those relationships, I think with teammates, um, are just so huge, you know, like we had lost in the NCAA tournament one spring and, you know, there was like a group of five of us that decided we were like going to get in a van and drive down to Florida. Like and one of our other teammates was like, y'all ain't going to invite me. And we're like, yeah, we are. And she jumped in and she came with us, you know? So like, it was just so funny. Like maybe we had our own little like group that we hung out with and then this other teammate wanted to come and we're like, hell yeah, you can come. And it was great. So I think just that, that communication with each other is huge. Yeah. I just want to add to that as I, I feel like this generation too of student athletes is they want to feel heard and valued. And so we always say like, don't listen to answer, listen to actually hear what they're saying. And so it's, I think it's just so huge uh, for all coaches. And I say that even for administrators is just, um, it really is relationships. Anything we talk about the core, it goes back down to a relationship. So I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. What would you say 
how would you measure your success in the administration role? Could you hit on that? You know, obviously that's different than the wins and losses as a coach. Yeah, we always say bloom where you're planted and add value. So truly success in administration is, you know, it can't always be the title. You can't always seek the title. You can't always, uh, um, you want a title, but sometimes that doesn't mean uh, that's the best bet for you. Uh, so we always talk to our administrators is just be the best you can be. I mean, with COVID, um, I don't know about y'all, but my family thought like I could move home because I did have a job because COVID, because I'm like, no, we're still busy. Like sports, even if you're a coach, there's still so much happening. And um, I, I truly just think for all administrators and whatnot is it's truly just being great where you are and adjust, adjusting to what you can do and then continue to advance in your career, whatever that looks like. I mean, it could be just more responsibilities. It could just be, um, I mean, there's so many different ways that look like advancement. It's not just a title. It's not just moving from a different institution. Uh, and sometimes you gotta, you know, sometimes you gotta go down to go up. Sometimes if you wanna get to this dream job for, I'm saying this for all the coaches is, Sometimes if you know where you want to be, if you know you want to be a D1 coach and you were just a, you know, a D2 head coach for seven years, you might have to go be an assistant. You might have to go be, you know, who knows what that could be. Uh, and so we always talk to our administrators of if you know where you want to end, have an end goal in mind, uh, take take whatever route you, you know you can get there. Uh, so I, I think for me, it's just really success is just being the best you. Bloom where you're planted is the easiest way to say it. That's great. That's a really great phrase that I act like I've never heard that. And it really just resonates for sure. I wrote it down on my, on my notes. Um, but even just you guys are both very passionate. It seems at with diversity and inclusion and things like that. Um, Kara, I know that you were on the, um, you are a liaison for the committee with WBCA with that. Um, and coach Quigley, obviously as a coach, you, recruit and have the ability to bring a lot of different people together. Um, if you guys could just really talk about, um, especially with a lot of the things going on, social injustice and Corona, and just how are you guys facilitating those conversations for the people around you and really creating that safe environment to um, really be truly inclusive? And start coaches. You know, I, I'll even just start with our programming or what we're providing our women right now is uh, we have a woman of color initiative. So obviously at the WBCA, uh, when the diversity and inclusion committee started, uh, it started when I was there and it was like a call to membership. Who wants to be a part of this? And I remember we had over 150 applications and it was incredible. And it was, I mean, when I say diversity, it was anything you can imagine. It was like, you know, black, Hispanic gay, trans, like we had every representation divisions, like we had every type of representation you can imagine. And I am not kidding you. I used to cry on all of these calls because it was just so impactful uh, to hear what these individuals had to share. And so the first year was truly just letting people get their feelings out. And then it was like, hey, what's the action? What can we do? So the WBCA, that initiative is incredible. Um, I'm not sure where they're at with it now, but I know that they always continue to try to make sure that they have diverse speakers, that they always have some type of a diversity speaker at a convention and their programming. They always try to implement that as well. But now at Women Leaders is with our Women of Color chat with what was happening with racial injustice and what continues to, it's just now exposed. 
more and more exposed is um, we just had conversations. We had a woman of color conversation two weeks ago or a week ago now, and uh, we had a consultant come on and we had 330 athletic, like athletic administrators on this call and people were just speaking out and they were saying their feelings, but then they were having these conversations. And I think it's just giving a space. So providing the space, not being scared of the conversation uh, because for so long people, and I, I mean, being a white female, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no longer scared to have the conversation because we need to be allies and we need to make, we need to make this better without allyship. We're not going to make a change. And that's what we even talked about on the diversity and inclusion committee at the WBCA. And so with our program this week, we brought a consultant in again with these 90 women that are young in their careers. We just had a conversation and let them talk and talk about how they feel with their student athletes. Uh, So my piece of advice is provide the space um, and make sure that with your student athletes, you're making them feel heard um, and allowing them to have the conversation. Because if you're not allowing it, I really think it's a disservice for, for them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I think we, uh, as a, as a women's basketball program, you know, that was like one of the first things I wanted to do. I wanted to speak with them. I wanted to get them all on a zoom call. Obviously it would have been nice to do it in person, but, um, and I think that's something like in the, in the last few years, I've always told myself, like, I, I check with our administrators to make sure it's okay. We have this discussion, you know, whether it's kneeling for the national anthem or anything along those lines, but it seems so silly as a coach to ignore these things you know, or to act like, oh, it doesn't really impact us or, you know, our, our team isn't really affected, so we don't have to address it. You know, I think that it's so important, you know, like Kara said, is not being afraid to have these conversations anymore. You know, and one of the first things I said to our group was like, I'm so sorry that we haven't talked about this before. Like, I am so sorry. And that's, that's on me, you know, and I think we just have to be willing to not only talk, you know, but like Kara mentioned, like, there's got to be action too. Like we can't have this just be these couple Zoom calls that we had, you know, in June, in June one year, and then nothing comes of it and our group doesn't make impact, you know? So that's one thing that our group has been talking a lot about, just how can we impact our own Lewis community, maybe our own personal neighborhood, you know? So it's just brainstorming and it's figuring out what's going to make the most impact, how we can do that and, and having these conversations with, with our group and not being afraid to have them. Um, you know, so I think it's just the constant conversation, not saying like we have we have this situation that happened with George Floyd where he was murdered. And we just we only had these talks because of that. Like we need to have these talks more frequently and again, have an action plan in mind in terms of what our group wants to accomplish, you know, and at the same time, having them feel comfortable about talking about situations or issues um, that that have impacted them. Um yeah. So I think, yeah, it's just about having the conversation and the talks. Um, and obviously when you get back on campus and you're face to face and you're able to do more in your own community, um, you know, be willing to step up and to sacrifice a practice, sacrifice, you know, a Saturday. Like, I think that's going to be something that makes the most impact. Not that our talks don't, I think our, our talks and our language and our communication is really, really good and positive. Um, you know, I think we had a player a few years ago that wanted to kneel, you know, and I think one of my conversations with her was like, you know, what else do you think you can do? Like, because not that kneeling at, you know, the Lewis game isn't going to make impact, but it's just not, we're not on ESPN. You're not getting the, the publicity maybe that some other, you know, celebrity players would get. I think 
how can you impact things? And then she started to brainstorm and she was, you know, coming up with, with more ideas. So, um, so yeah, I think action after the talk action, after the conversation, um, whatever that may be. I know a lot of our, our student athletes participated in protests. I participated in a protest. So I think those certain actions for them, um, are going to make them feel like things, things are changing and they're going to be a part of change and not just be talking about it. (laughs) Definitely. And not just talking, but listening. I think that's something that we've definitely not just with having a women in sports show, but then having, um, you know, this platform to then now listen to what women in the actual roles are doing and, and what they're doing with their teams and their coworkers and, in the women that they're inspiring and really lifting up. So yeah, definitely. That was, that was a great answer. Um, I think we're going to do viewer questions, Ashton. Yeah. Let's go ahead and open up this. Yes. This is good dialogue. Um, so the first question is from coach Omega. So you can go ahead and unmute yourself. Um, coach. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Hi guys, I'm honored to just be here and listening and soaking up with you guys. Um, with Coach Quig, I was just wondering, um, you're a mom of, and a wife of four, and I'm a mom and a wife of three babies. And so I was wondering what you thought about the greatest differences between the NAIA level and the D2 level from a head coaching standpoint. Um, so I think, and, and obviously this comes into play being a parent too, um, but they're very similar, I would say, in terms of um, in terms of travel, in terms of, uh, the level of play for the most part. Um, and you know, the biggest difference probably that maybe no one really realizes is, is scholarship money, you know, and NAI has less scholarship money than division two, you know, so in most cases, but now I think with is NAI, NAI might be going to one division. So that might become even more equal, I think on that playing field where it's a little bit closer, um, in terms of scholarship money, but um, you know, I think it's very similar. Uh, and, and I think that was maybe me as an NAI coach who like, who just felt like I had to recruit a ton and I had to be this person that was out there so that everyone knew who we were. And, and so that translated obviously to the division two level. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is, it's the same amount of time. It's the same amount of, I think, grind, um, you know, as a coach, I want to be the best possible coach I can be. So, but I also want to be the best mom I can be. So it's, you know, it's bringing my son to the Nike tournament at McCormick place, you know, and maybe prior to that, I would have stayed for 11 hours and now I'm only going to stay for five or six. And that's just like life, you know? So, um, I think just finding that balance between, you know, the family and again, wanting to be the best coach I can be, you know, and so whether it's leaving things early or whether it's, you know, arranging practice time around my kid's soccer game or our, our kid's soccer games, you know, um, having that luxury, I think at the NAI and division two level, um, you don't get that at every level, you know, like at the division one level, you probably can't say like, Oh, I'm going to move practice around so that I can be at my kid's game. (laughs) You have like five or six other staff members that you have with you as well. And, you know, maybe facility situations and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I've been really lucky, I think, to be at places that understood the parenting aspect and, you know, not having you clock in at 8 a.m. and then clock out at 6 p.m. You know, I think that balance that we find 
in, in athletics is something that's really important. And if you're looking to have a family or, um, you know, be a parent in the future, I think that's got to be a conversation in the interview process or that you're talking to administrators about, like, is this, is this a family type administration, you know, or is it not? I think that's the vibe that, that you get when you speak to people and you get to know them a little bit throughout the interview process. I hope that answered your question. It did. Thank you very much. Hey, Coach, can I actually, so I, I have a question about that is we always talked about it at the WBCA. Uh, if I'm maybe, are you a part of moms and coaching? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So in that program, Brooke, I'm not, is Brooke from FSU still the yes, leader? Florida state. Yep. Okay. Yes. So she would always talk about, yeah, as a head coach, like, yeah, bring your kids or whatnot, but what are like your suggestions for an assistant coach or someone that might not be at the helm of a program? Because if they have kids, you know, it's easier for the head coach, like, Hey, I worked in this with my contract or whatnot. So as an assistant coach or someone that's not at the top, what does that look like? You know, I think it's just like, it's being open and communicating. And I have an assistant coach right now who has a son, his wife's pregnant, going to have another baby soon. So I think it's just like being honest and talking, talking to your head coach about like, things that you need to be at, things that you need to need to be doing from a family standpoint and, and being very organized. You know, if your head coach seems like she's not organized, maybe I seem sometimes like I'm not very organized. <laughs> but I think if you as an assistant coach can be that person that's like, I have a calendar and I know what I'm doing and when I need to be there and I'm going to let Sam know a week and a half advance, even though Sam probably won't remember the, the day before. Um, at least I know that I told her and she was aware and she... I think that that to me makes things more flexible as a head coach, knowing that my assistant coach is so prepared and he's so ready. And, you know, because he might've left a little early one day, he's going to be here tomorrow morning and doing this, or he's going to go to this event two days in a row because he couldn't be, you know, in the office on a Friday because of doctor's appointments. Like, I think it's just, it's that organization standpoint, you know, and not the combative, well, we both have families type mindset. You know, it's more of like, we're going to work together and, you know, be prepared for, for quick changes because that's family and that's how it works. If someone hits their head and goes to the ER, like I got to go, you know, and, and I know he's got to go, you know? So I think it's just that understanding that like, while we have this Lewis family, that's really important to us, you know, they're like one in one A and one B. And I think we just try to make it all work and finding a head coach that's like that. If you, if you have a family or want to want to have a family, you know, know that that's, that's the case, you know, and you know, we're not staying after games and watching film till 3am. Like that's just, I might watch film, but I'm not watching it in the office with my assistant coaches. Like I'm watching it at home, like <laughs> with your kids, <laughs> kids are acting crazy. Yeah. So I think that's the other part of this. Like not that staying in the office till 3 a.m. and watching film is a bad thing. I'm sure it's very valuable, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's just a balance. It's a balance of all of it. And, and finding that, that staff or those individuals that like align with what you value. Um, I think that that's a really important aspect of it all. I love the way that you said, just like have like not being like, Oh, I have a family, you have family, but like really coming together and like honoring that everybody, you know, we all have, families, we all have those priorities. Um, I think even just for your kids to be able to see that, like not like just your players, but your actual kids to be around that. And I bet they just like, lo I loved when my coaches brought 
um, their kids around actually my head coach and her daughter, like the daughter was our assistant. So it was just family affair all the time. Um, but, uh, Dakota, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question, you can do that. All right. Thanks guys for being on. Um, so I'm a NAIA student assistant coach. And my question is, uh, what qualities do you think someone needs in the sport industry to be successful and move their way up? I'll go first, just from like whole sports industry. I always say grit, resiliency. Um, I think I've had a lot of people in my life tell me like, I don't know, I've heard mixed messages. When I remember when I started, they're like, it is so hard to get in the sports industry is so hard. And I mean, no, you just have to have a good attitude and like stick with it. Um, so I don't want anyone to be discouraged. And, and so I say truly it, it's really just putting your foot on the ground and getting what you want. If you know what you want, go get it. And if someone knocks you down, get back up. And I know that might sound simple, but I feel like a lot of people lack that in the sport interest industry. And that might be why they don't make it. Uh, and so being able to just have grit, I think is a, is a huge piece. Yeah, for sure. And in addition to that, I think grit and and be in a constant state of wanting to grow and to learn and to educate yourself. You know, I think my situation in itself as a career, like I had to learn at, and fly at the seat of my pants and like figure it out. But I remember those first couple of years being like, I just don't know the X's and O's like I want to know the X's and O's. Like I need to be, I need to learn more from people. So it was clinics. It was, you know, the convention. It was Anytime anyone was speaking, I was there, I was listening. I was, you know, so I think that you can't be afraid to like dedicate your time to like educating yourself, you know? And like, even now I'm like on Twitter, like looking at a play and then I'm sending it to our assistants. I'm like, we should do this like tomorrow at our game. And they're like, we haven't worked on it. I'm like, I don't care. You know? So like, I think that, that in a sense is like, that's constant learning and educating. And now it's Twitter and it's Instagram and it's Facebook, you know, but 10 years ago, it was going to clinics, listening to speakers, um, you know, learning, calling up a coach. Like, I love that you run this against us. Like, can we talk about it? You know, or I saw you run this against so-and-so, like, can you send me some stuff on it? Like, I think those interactions and talks have completely grown my coaching. I don't even know if it's my coaching anymore. I think, feel like it's like everybody else is coaching, you know, but that's, that's how we all are. I think as, as coaches, we learn, we grow, we like steal things from everyone you know, and then you have your own values and your own philosophies in itself. But I think you have to be willing to like educate yourself and take the time to do that. And that's time consuming. Like that's constant interaction. That's constant reading, learning, watching, you know, and that in itself is going to make you a better coach. You know, not that Netflix isn't great. There's some really great things on Netflix. I watch Netflix a lot and HBO. Like, I think those are all really great things, but from a career standpoint, like you have to find, you know, a way to make yourself the best coach you can be. And I think a lot of that is educating yourself. And, and don't be afraid. I think that's the thing too. And I, I'm speaking probably to more women on that. We always talk at our Institute. We talk to our women and women won't apply for a job because they don't make like one, re one requirement. So they check all nine boxes out of 10, but they don't, they don't apply. So don't be afraid. So in the sports industry, if you see something, go after it. And but if you don't get it, go after it the next time. <laughs> I would just add to that, like you, you have to enjoy where you're at and what you're doing. You know, like 
if you're at a position or you're at a place that you don't get along with people, you're not enjoying the camaraderie, like don't just tell yourself like, I'm going to go to work every day because people said I have to push through. It's like, you have to enjoy waking up every day because you don't want to wake up one day and not want to be a coach anymore because of those experiences. Like you want to have great people around you that are pushing you to be the best you can be. It'd be a positive atmosphere. I think, I think so often we, we get told like, keep, keep at it. And it's like, this is not a good environment for me, you know? So I think don't be afraid to be like, I can find another position. I can do this. I need to reach out to people, you know, to find myself a better situation. You know, I think that's, that's important in our profession, you know, not to get to a point where like you're burnt out. Yeah. Thanks guys. Burnout is the, yeah, it's definitely the the name of the game. And I think I was on a zoom and, and it said, or one of the coaches said, like, you usually don't choose yourself to leave the coaching industry. Like the coaching industry chooses to, to kind of kick you out or, or leave you hanging. So that, and that was something I was like, whoa, like never really thought about that, but we have a few more um, viewer questions. So coach um, destiny, you can go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question. Hey. Um, so, Hey coach. Hey yeah, Sam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I feel like you played for me, but you didn't play for me. <laughs> oh, well, you know, maybe <laughs> into you. Did you, did, did, was, were you coaching when I played? Yeah. At yeah. UAS? You were, you were coaching when you, you played me, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> My question yeah. is more so specific to, um, relationship building. And since I went from playing to coaching now, I feel like I can connect on so many levels in that regard. But as far as like a coach, how do you find yourself trying to connect with the different players, their backgrounds? And what, I guess this is a question too, for you, Kara, because I'm sure you work with a whole bunch of different people and different personalities and whatnot. But I think right now during these times, especially, it's really important that we're focusing on relationship building. So it's like, what kinds of things do you do on an individual basis in comparison to maybe you're around a whole bunch of people and this is how you build relationships and maybe more of a group setting, but in comparison to what are you doing to make yourself a better coach behind the scenes? And what are you doing to make yourself a better, I guess, employee, you know, for you, Kara, what are you doing in the background? For yeah, both? I'll start. I just, you know, I would say from an individual standpoint in talking to players, you know, it's not like overflowing them with communication because I, I'm sure that can get annoying if head coach is like always texting me or always calling me about life and what am I doing today? Am I working out? Like, I think that's not even our, our conversations right now. Our conversations are just like, hey, how's quarantine? Like going on any trips this year, this summer? Like how's the family? Like, I think it's just checking on them in this pandemic. They've been at home, you know, with mom and dad, you know, so frequently and early on, it was like, you couldn't leave the house, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I think my initial conversation with all of them was just like, Hey, how are you like mentally? You know? And some of them like laughed at me. I'm like, <laughs> because they're, you know, <laughs> mom and dad now are back. They're juniors or seniors. And they're like, I haven't been living at home like this much. And I can't even tell you how long. So, you know, I think initially it was that conversation and now it's a little bit more like people can go places to an extent. So it's just about, you know, how are you, how are you growing? You know, we read a book every summer. So it's, we have those conversations, I think about that specific book that we're reading together. Um, and it's about leadership. So it's, it's conversations along those lines, but now with, with the zoom 
meetings and less, you know, they would normally right now be playing like open gym on their own, you know, at Lewis. So like, there's not really any, there's not a lot of like basketball conversation. It's more like, how's life at home? How's the family? You know, call me if you need anything. It's, it's very, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's very friendly, you know, in a sense where it's like, we're just trying to make sure that like, we're all on the same page and like, we're still chatting and like seeing each other. Maybe it's on a FaceTime or a Zoom. Um, and so I think that's probably a little bit different than normal. You know, I would normally be like monitoring open gym in my office. And then after open gym concluded, I would go out there and like talk to them and say hi and be face to face, you know, but you just don't have that luxury now. So it's very, it's very different. Um, but I think we can't stop this communication. You know, we have to continue to reach out from an individual standpoint, almost more importantly, because I think on these Zoom calls, like we talked about the seven second silence, um, there's a lot of seven second silences, you know, and we might have, I don't know how many calls we've had since the beginning of all of this, uh, 15 to 20. And I bet there's a girl on our team that hasn't said one word, you know? And so like, you know, we have topics for all of our calls. So I try to like message them a few of them before, like, Hey, would love to hear your insight on this topic or on this topic, you know, and some of them are probably caught off guard, like, whoa, she texted me. Now I have to think about this and I have to be ready to speak, <laughs> you know? So, um, in the group setting, we, we try to give them a little, a little info prior, but. Gotcha. Good. Cool. Thanks. I'll take that from a different route. So I'll look at it from one, from an employee standpoint, like to be a better employee through like communication, as we always say, just managing up. So a lot of you on this call are probably assistant coaches or, um, what, what that looks like in coaching for you. And it's just like anticipating your coach's needs. And so I think that's a huge thing, um, for, for any of us to just be a better employee. And then also just to better have better relationships in the industry. I think a huge piece that a lot of us always miss is the follow-up, right? So we have the conversation. We then now think that we're, we're good. They're our friends. Hey, we're good to go. Uh, but it's the continued, I mean, relationships take work. Uh, it's not just, Hey, it's not like right now, coach, coach, you know, coach Sam and I are going to be best friends. Like, unless I reach back out to her, um, it's a continued conversation. It's continued relationship for any, for any of us on this call. So just continuing to follow up and to continue to have conversations, uh, I think is, is really big in this industry. Yeah. And I think it's like the real talks too. It's not just like, and I know I mentioned this, like, Oh, how you doing? Like, how's your family? How's all that? But like, pressing, but not pressing to a point where it's like overdoing it. You know, like if you're aware of something that's going on with an individual or, you know, a family member, I think just not being afraid to be like, Hey, like, how's this going? You know, like, how are you feeling about this? You know, and then kind of letting the conversation go where it may, you know, I think those, those are the toughest talks. Like the ones that are about like the nitty gritty, the drama, the you know, the, the situations with family, with the situations with friends, with teammates, like, I think those conversations are the toughest because it's hard to get them to say anything about those things, you know? And so finding the right way to communicate that, to discuss that, um, it gets them ready for the real world. You know, like we, and I, I, I said this to our group a, a million times, like mom can't call me when something goes wrong. You know, when you're a, when you're in the real world, like you can't have mom call your boss to ask like why he reprimanded you or why she reprimanded you. Like you have to be willing to have those honest conversations when things aren't going right. 
And I think those are the toughest, the toughest discussions to have, the toughest ones to start. You know, like, hey, here's the elephant in the room. You were pissed off at me at practice because I took you out of a drill. Like, let's talk about it. Let's not have it be like, oh, now I hate coach. You know, like, let's, let's figure out, okay, why did I kick you out of the drill? Why did I do this? You know, why did you respond this way? I think those talks are, they're really tough, you know, but they're, they're so much needed. You know, I mean, this was a great example. End of the year, we had a, a sophomore that was starting. She had started like five games in a row. We decided we were going to start someone else. And we never had that conversation with her. You know, we're in the middle of practice. We're getting ready for the game in two days. And we put the, the starters that are going to start on, on the starting team. And she's just like, you can see in her eyes, she's like starting to cry. And I'm like, I should have talked to her about this prior. You know, and so like, I think that's the conversation that, and I'm still learning too. I'm like, okay, I need to be like smarter about that. Why did I just do that <laughs> without having talked to her? You know, and again, I think it's it's with with certain players and with certain people, you have to be be willing to have tough conversations and and not being afraid of that. That's good. Thank you both. That's a huge, yeah, just awareness factor for sure. Um, just knowing people and, and disciplining them different and, and talking to them differently. And like, if that, you know, would have happened to somebody else, I might not have reacted that way. Um, but that that's really awesome that you guys are so, you guys are just great. Um, so if, um, Camille, you want to go ahead and unmute yourself, you can ask your question. Yeah. Um, thanks guys. Great stuff so far. And both of you have kind of touched on it, but how do you kind of balance like knowing when it's time for you to make the next move in your career um, versus, you know, you also want to be loyal and you, you talked about, you know, having the courage to take chances and apply for jobs, but you know, you don't want to apply for every job. So how do you kind of like know, you know, when are the right moments to kind of make the next jump? You want to start? Um, yeah, that's a tough question. Uh, I think in some aspects, like you don't really know when, uh, you know, I think if the, the right situations presents, present themselves, you know, I think it all kind of depends on, and Kara said this earlier, she said, grow where you're planted, right? Did I say that correctly? Bloom where you're planted, but grow the same thing. Yeah, bloom where you're planted. So I think that's really important to like, to be where you are, to be present and to be all in wherever you're at, you know, but I think we all have goals. We all have aspirations, you know, unless you know, I'm a 76 year old coach that's been coaching for 45 years. You know, I probably have done everything I want to do, you know, maybe not won a national championship yet, but I think we all have aspirations and goals in life. Um, I think prioritizing them in terms of what it is you want to achieve, um, you know, and, and the route you want to take, but not being afraid to take another, another route or another direction, you know, and be willing to go. Like if a, situation presents itself be willing to say like this situation is maybe a better situation than the one I'm in and that's what's going to be important to me you know if you have a family involved obviously that's a conversation with with family as well um but yeah I think it's just it's again I think you don't always know when the right time is or what the right situation or fit is going to be but being willing to to jump when it comes you know, and not being afraid to like pursue something um, due to loyalty or due to that. You know, I think that was, I literally went to the Crosstown Rival School, you know, and it was so, so hard, <laughs> you know. So I think that's, that's something else, like just being aware of, hey, I have these goals in mind. 
your administrator knowing what your goals are and your thoughts are, you know, and it's not just, you know, something out of left field. Um, so if you're an assistant coach, I think letting your head coach know like what your, what your goals are, what your end, end game is eventually. Like, I think the honesty part of it is, is, is really big. Yeah. And to further on that, I think there's a big difference too with transitions, especially in the sports world with coaching and administrators is there's three different types of transitions. There's like forced transitions. You lost your job. You got to find a new job. There's choice transitions. You're like, Hey, it's time for me to go on. And then there's just like, this is happening transitions. So I think there's just a big uh, difference of knowing when, when to go. Uh, and also you want to go when you have nothing else to learn. Right. So when you, when there's nothing less to learn that that's time for you to leave. I mean, when I was at the WBCA, you want to work for an employer, you want to work for a head coach or an institution. That's like, Hey, unless you love it here, or where, where do you want to end up? It's time for you to go. And that's what happened at the WBCA is they were like, Kara, you want to be an administrator. It's, 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 it's time. Like it's time you you're done your time. You've done your four years and, and, and go and spread your wings. Uh, so I think it's really like a personal point as well as just knowing yourself and knowing what you want. So going back to like knowing your end goal of what you want is you're going to know when it's time to transition, unless it's a forced transition, uh, which does happen. Like I said, unfortunately a lot in coaching, but uh, just being able to navigate that. And it just goes back to the communication relationships. Um, I'm telling you that's the core of everything is relationships and communication. And if we get, if we got that, then, um, I think all, a whole lot of this is going to be a lot easier for all of us. Well said, both Thanks, of you guys. Great viewer questions. Um, really, really enjoyed those. Thank you guys for participating and being intentional with listening. Um, as we move into our overall questions, um, something we like to ask is how do you see opportunities moving forward in the future for women in the sports industry, in college athletics, professional athletics, um, even at the high school level, and how can women um, really equip themselves to be put in those positions in the future? Don't be afraid. Go get them. I, I can see, really do think more and more women, um, I hope, will continue. I know there's been a sl slow de decline in coaching, but I really think if uh, women just continue um, in their careers, I can see more and more women advancing because I think there's just this shift that is happening where I feel like we're starting to see it. But uh, I mean, even through COVID, uh, if you look at st statistics, the women that are at the helm of institutions are getting, you know, they're looking unreal. They've had plans or it's they're communicating because women are great communicators. Uh, and so during crisis, women know what to do. And so just continuing, uh, don't be afraid, don't stop, go back to grit and I can see us, we're, we're going to be in the sports industry for the long haul. That's what, that's what I'm going with. We're, we're in it for the long haul. And I, I hope it stays that way. Yeah. I think you just see more and more women in positions of leadership. You know, I mean, we have Becky Hammond who's interviewing for NBA head jobs. We have, you know, female governor, we have a female presidential nominee last, a few, a few years ago. Like, I think that's, that's been a huge, huge thing for women I think just to see that people can, can, can be in leadership positions, you know, and I know Becky Hammond wasn't the first in the NBA, but, you know, just her trailblazing that made more and more women feel like they could do it, you know, and, and be a part of that, 
culture and that um, that organization. So, yeah, I think it's just the the seeing other leaders um, and just and just following in their footsteps and you know and how they did things. So, um, so yeah, uh, the second part of your question, Ashton, was about. How can, we, how can we as women equip ourselves? So, you know, how do we put ourselves in those positions as well? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's leading the people that you interact with, act with, you know, on a day-to-day basis. You know, so whether I'm an assistant coach, whether I'm a GA, whether I'm a head coach, um, you know, uh, if you're Karen, you're working with numerous different individuals, I think just being a leader in that sense of things, you know, because then you become that mentor, that person that we've been talking about that, you know, is in a high leadership standpoint, you know, and, and, and leading and learning about leadership. How can you be the best leader, you know, for your program or for your group? You know, I think that that's, that's, that's really important, you know, and, and I know we talk about females and coaching a lot and how like we need more females in coaching, but like, I see a lot of, you know, guys on here, great guys on here. Some of you, I know, some of you, I don't know, but, you know, I think that that collaboration you know, with the male side of things, if we want to grow the women's game, and, and so many people have said this, I know Muffet touched on it, like we need more women in coaching. Absolutely. But we need men to like women's basketball. You know, and maybe that's a truth that people don't like to hear. But we need men to want to watch our game. You know, we need, we need them, we need that age group of males that's from 21 to 35 to be invested in what we're doing, you know, because that's the sports world. I think it's that age of individuals and males that need to start being more interested in our game, you know, and, and, and in women's sports, not just basketball, but all women's sports. Like, I think if we can somehow reach them, you know, then we're going to just, we're going to take off and we are taking off already, but I think we can't be ignorant to the fact that, and I've had great men as coaches, Aaron, you know, and Gerald and, um, and Bruno and all of them. So like, part of me is like, yeah, I really want women in coaching, but like, here are some great, great guys that were great coaches for me and great leaders for me and made me the strong woman that I am, you know? So I can't ignore that. I can't ignore the fact that, that these men love the women's game, you know, and they love leading women, you know? And I think that's a good thing. Um, so again, I think the balance of both of them, of getting more women in coaching and females and in, in women's sports. Um, but giving these guys a little pound. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. <laughs> That's our, and I got, yeah, same thing. Like I've always had male coaches, JD literally just signed off, but I'll let him know that you gave him a little shout out. Um, yeah. He texted me, he was leaving, but um, yeah, it's super important. And I think even um, we can see it in the military. I've read, I'm, I've read slash studied, but now I'm like finally reading it for enjoyment. This book called, um, fight like a girl. And it's about a like woman in the Marines. And it's just like some women get there and they don't have the ability to extend a hand down to the other ones, but they have the ability to convince the men around them of why they need more women. It wasn't just like a spur. Like I was special. Like they, like that it's like, you know, it's, it's women are needed in those roles. So definitely. Um, one more kind of question, um, that I had before we just kind of wrap things up, um, to respect everyone's time, but just kind of what, um, is one thing that you really wish you would have, um, 
known or prepared better before you entered the position that you currently are in? You got to go first, coach, because I don't know. (laughs) I think maybe like I wish I would have known and I'm still maybe don't know all that well um, how to do what how to do it all. You know, like I wish I would have known that like it was going to be really difficult to like be coming home from a trip and then, you know, we have family, you know, the next morning and then running to practice that day. And like, I think just the, the jumbling it all, you know, like I wish maybe I would have been more prepared or more ready or like had some sort of like transition into that. But it was like, you're pregnant and now you're having kids, you know? And so figure it out. Uh, so I think that part, like just, you know, do I wish I would have had some more experiences as a coach? I think so. Like, I think being a GA, being a video coordinator, being, you know, an assistant coach for a few years would have helped me learn more, you know, but at the same time, I think I learned a lot because I didn't have a choice, (laughs) you know, like I had to learn, I had to figure it out in order to be successful and help our women be successful. Like I had to do the homework that I was talking about. Like I had to educate myself. Otherwise we would have, had negative experiences. So I did everything in my power, I think, to, to do that, to, to figure it out, to, to work with not being afraid to work with, you know, older individuals that just, they just know more than I do. They, they know more shit, you know? So like, I have to like be willing to be like, yeah, I'm a good coach, but like this guy knows a lot or, you know, this woman knows a lot, you know? And so like not being afraid to like take in that information from other people and not thinking that you know it all. Um, and that's hard. I think that's hard to do as a head coach. Like you are a head coach of a program. Maybe we've, you've been successful, like to take constructive criticism, even from our current players. Like, I think that's been, you know, I tell them, I tell our seniors in our post season meetings, like, Hey, this is, this is fair game. You can say whatever you want. Like, I want you to know that I want you to know we need to be better as a staff, as a program. How can we do that? Go you know, and I think not being afraid to like allow them to do that. Like, I think maybe some coaches wouldn't even, they wouldn't care or they just wouldn't be comfortable with anyone speaking their mind, you know? And so being, being open to people telling you how you can be better. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think for me is how important the little things are uh, and how they can impact you in your career later on. Uh, I just look back to, I mean, even just starting back to D2 SAC, how much that could have helped me propel in my career. But I just, I looked at it and it wasn't, wasn't serious. I was like, Oh, I'm part of the executive team of SAC. Heck no. There are people in this industry that are like, I was the SAC president and they were making changes when they were young. And then when I was at the WBCA in my internship, just how many, the opportunities and the relationships, every time you meet someone, like you are always on an interview. You are always on an interview right now. You could be on this call and coach could see you and be like, wow, I want her to be my next assistant coach. And so just recognizing all of the little things in life and just recognizing that your life is an interview at any point in your career, uh, which now I'm slowly getting, slowly figuring out, but continuing to do the little things because they matter. That's good. Both great. Yeah, great points. Um, So just to finish up, we always like wrapping up with our, like what we call our points of pride it's something that, you know, just, just the things that you personally pride yourself on. 
And we always just want to ask our guests, what's one thing that you try getting out of each day when you're doing your job, whether it's the worst or best day, um, but something that you can look, look back on and either like be really proud of, or just encourage you going into the next day. I would say for me, my, my mantra in life is, uh, be, be the light in the room. So no matter what my day is or no matter what I'm doing, or it could be the worst day ever. Um, I still always want to make sure I I go into a room and I'm, I'm going to still be that light. So it could be literally the worst day ever, but when I come home or when I'm talking to my friends, I'm going to make sure that I'm making their day better. And I pride myself on that every day. Um, if I can make one person smile, if I can make one person happy or just one piece of nugget, I think that's huge. So I have it written on my desk. I have it written in my room, but just be the light in the room. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think mine's really similar. Just just changing someone's life, changing something, even if it's in a very small way, even if it's like my five-year-old, you know, telling him he can't bite somebody. Um, you know, just little stuff like that. I think like being being someone that made a change today, you know, and, you know, we say this to our team too. Like if you look in the mirror today and you don't feel like, you've changed for the better or you've changed somebody else's life for the better. Like you didn't have a very productive day, you know? And so I think those, those conversations and those things um, just give you a plan in mind, you know, whether it's the night before you're thinking about your next day, you know, like how is this going to be a productive day in whatever field or whatever, if I'm a student athlete, if I'm a coach, if I'm an administrator, you know, like how am I going to change somebody else's life tomorrow? Like, I think that's, and we don't have to do it. We don't, it doesn't have to be like a monumental change. It just has to be like something small, you know, letting a player know that you're here for her. Call me anytime, you know, something as small as that, you know, your five-year-old not biting someone, that's probably pretty important for his future. Um, You know, so. (laughs) Love those. Literally, we are trying to get better phrasing for after questions, but sometimes I'm still just like thinking about how about great, how great they are. I have a ton of transition words I can send to you because I facilitate. I'll, I'll shoot them in an email. I'm telling you, it's hard. Absolutely. See, this perfect. is perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes. like, yes, perfect. Definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you guys um, don't mind, if you have any like sort of contact or whatever, Twitter handle, whatever you feel most comfortable, um, if you want to put it in the chat that way, like if people have questions or they, you know, tomorrow they're like, Oh, I wish I would have, you know, said this, or this really dawned on me about, you know, what Kara said or what, what coach Quigley said. Um, so if you guys just don't mind putting something in there, um, that way people can, can reach out. And, and then we just want to say again, thank you so much. This is, this is awesome. It's the once again, the highlight of of my week. Definitely. I think it's been, it's been really good to see, like, this is our eighth week, just the growth, but like we, our guests bring it every single week and I found this very beneficial. So I'm very thankful. Thank you guys again for taking some time to share your unique perspective on um, things outside of, you know, coaching obviously, but off the court as well. So really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us and thanks for everyone listening. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's just amazing. (laughs) Appreciate you. Yeah. This was, this was cool. I had a lot of fun. So it was nice to meet you all and, Stay connected. Like I said, I put my cell phone in there and my Twitter. So reach out. I, I'm here to help anybody. Or you could help me too. Who knows? It's yes. Mentorship. Absolutely. That's what we're about here. All right. See everybody next week. Same time, same place. Well, maybe not same place if you're going to watch it somewhere else. But. <laughs>
Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Women in Sports. This show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry. I'm one of the hosts, Aaron Sinnott. And I'm Ashton Pills. This is a Rising Coaches sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences. Glad to have you listening along. Stay tuned. Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on. Community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the Final Four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today.